your host, Sean Penn. Uh, so today we're talking with Dana Kuznetskov, and she's had a really interesting career. She's worked on some incredible projects, and she's worth, worn so many different hats on them, you know? From being in the production uh, manager role to producer to first assistant director. I mean, she kind of knows the mechanics. She's an expert at that, of what it takes to run a film set and what it takes to run a good film set and what differentiates a set that's productive and collaborative from one that's not. And that's part of it too. It's the collaboration. It's like the concerted effort, you know, the spirited effort to honor a vision that's free of mania and ego. And we talked a lot about that. I mean, what distinguishes a project that she would be interested in, you know, just watching, let alone working on, from one that she wouldn't be and and part of it is the collaboration but then part of it is story and i think part of the reason why you know she has such she's experienced such great longevity in the film and television industry is because of her versatility she's able to almost like uh, someone that's maneuvering different puzzle pieces in order to get the right you know in order to achieve nirvana on a set i mean she's able to do that and the result I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. You look at season three of The Wire, you know, what she was involved with, she worked on. I mean, that that's about the politicians. I love that season. And it, it's kind of um, it's kind of a testament to that, that energy that she brings. She's worked a lot in television, I think, in general. I mean, she's worked on The New Yorker Presents, that show as a line producer. She worked on Smash as a co-producer. She's worked on, um, you know, Boardwalk Empire, a lot of the HBO shows as well. And I think, you know, in film, as an AD, a medium in which she's equally prolific, I mean, she, the thing that stands out is the collaboration with Robert Zemeckis, you know, incredible filmmaker. I mean, she worked on um, Forrest Gump. She was in the uh, assistant director realm in that, and I think that's where she, she was really getting her feet wet in a big way. I mean, working with him and Hanks and, you know, that entire crew, which is like the cream of the crop and film and um you know death becomes her she worked on that and then flight uh you know with denzel she worked on that also with zemeckis as the first ad the first assistant director so um you know that also speaks to kind of like relationships um i mean i think these people want her back because she knows what she's doing but then she also has this demeanor which again like energizes the crew and makes people feel comfortable um, you know, whatever the project is. And I think that's an important quality to have. In our conversation, we talked about growing up in New York. You know, she's from the Bronx. We talked about the difference, the differences between, you know, the PGA and the DGA. I mean, those are both organizations in which she's been really active, particularly in the PGA in terms of s- sustainability. I mean, she's shared, you know, several committees um, on, on that topic and others. We talked about the strike that's happening right now. We talked about her, you know, new documentary, Omara, which is playing in the festival circuit right now. And that's about Omara, who's the, you know, the lead female vocalist. She's the Cuban national in the Buena Vista Social Club, which uh, Rai Cooter produced. So that's an incredible doc. I've seen a little bit of that. Uh, You know, it's kind of it's marveling to see how much of an impact, um, you know, that band, that group. And also her as a as a singer, as a vocalist, has had really on the world. Um, it's kind of staggering. And we talked about, you know, a pivotal moment in her life that really shifted what she was doing into, like, the world of film and TV and all the other documentaries that she's produced as well. I really enjoy talking with her. You know, this was uh, a blast for me, and uh, I hope you enjoy. Most film, st- most studies in film, whether yeah. it's being a, a director candidate or producer candidate, you have to take Psych 101. You have oh. to take the Psych courses. I know that's, I know, 
well, it used to be, UCLA used to make, you had to take Psych 101. It was huh. a required course. And it makes perfect sense. Why do you think it makes sense? Because you were on a set yeah. all day long. The yeah. day could be six hours to 19 hours, mm-hmm. and you are surrounded by 100 people. Right. So personalities come into play, tensions come into play. Um, when I, 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 one of the classes that I took, and I'm not a film major or a student of film academically, I'm uh-huh. a student of life okay. film, yeah. um, but I took a class called Business Communications. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And it really helped me because it's all about communication mm-hmm. and it's all about, under- listen, artists are artists, right? Yeah. And they all come to the party with, Everything. Neuroses. Yeah, all the confidence, baggage. Yeah, yeah. Not lack of confidence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're the leader, you just have to pay attention to that and make it work. Yeah. You know, if you have the best makeup artist in the whole wide world, what are you going to do? Say no because they happen to have a host of insecurities? No, mm. you just respect and honor those insecurities because that's human nature. That's what we all do. And you, so you feel like, and you need psych. <laughs> you need some sort of background to realize that, because I think we all know, like from being students of life, that people do come in with their own baggage and their own insecurities and their personalities, uh, some of which are easier to get along, you know, right, with other than others. But then uh, I guess without psych, do you feel like you're not noticing it as much? You're not as cognizant of how to how to deal with that as a leader? Well, I think you said student of life. Yeah. So maybe I didn't take psych courses because I was not a film student, but I did in later years and in building my career or in managing my career, understand and get myself educated Mm -hmm. on managing and Mm. and communications and communicating and dealing with people. And what do you do when you know you have an OCD person in your mm-hmm. midst. It's yeah. the same as you would deal with a vegetarian in your midst. You okay. know what I mean? You'd always make sure there's vegetarian options, but when you have someone who's OCD, you'd make sure that, that person's protected as well. Yeah. You know, I think as a leader, that's what we do. We make sure that we're servicing this story, we're mm-hmm. servicing the script, but we're also protecting our creatives. And then also uh, empathizing. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you can't empathize with everyone about every single thing, but it is important to have a layer of empathy when you're communicating with different people. I guess that's just something that's maybe missing in life, don't you think? Well, it's unfortunate because I have to say, I hope not. Yeah. I really do hope not. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> and I think we are who we are, and if we want to walk the streets being empathetic, that's yay us. And if we want to walk the streets with a scowl and be chronically disappointed mm-hmm. in the direction we're heading, that's also a choice. But You worked on like a really uh, like a mental health-esque uh, show which is The Sopranos, uh, that is, and I was just, I mean, like, I was, because I watched, uh, I watched the episode, the members only. The one episode that I did I out of that. 40, out of 460. Yeah, but I, but that, <laughs> that season is like, and that episode is actually a pivotal, pivotal episode that people don't necessarily realize because of, because of that theme, the members only thing, right? I think every episode, and you're talking yeah. about a very specific theor- series, a, yeah. very, a very specific series that I was not involved with from the beginning. Right. I, everyone I love and adore was, yeah. but um, you, I was a fan. Mm-hmm. And it w- I just came in to fill in for one episode, yeah. so I can't speak to the you know the ins and outs and what everyone was going through. But no, you could but just still, see yeah. by watching that show yeah. and meeting all the players involved that there was you you know you can't see this because it's radio, but there yeah. was this thing. There was yeah. this you know like an intensity. It, it was hard. It was yeah. hard work without a question. But I think intensity is a good word, and there was a respect for what we, for what was happening. Was that an example of like a lot of different, like in your experience? Because it seems like you came in when this was a full-fledged functioning ship, right? I, I guess did. somewhat on its on its on its end. So then, did you see that like that theme of like a lot of different personalities coming together? Like, did you see? Did you feel that? I did because I feel like, especially because it was close to the end, it wasn't quite the end. Yeah. But, um, there was a family unit mm-hmm. and a deep respect for all of those players involved yeah and when you when you step in as an outsider which i was just for the one episode you can feel it 
you definitely feel it because yeah. you know you walk in it's like in any time in physical production when you step into something that you did not build mm-hmm. and you're just coming to cover for the day you know you walk in saying okay so why don't we you know do this over here and yeah. seven people would stand in a big line and say well that's not how we do it right, like, oh right, okay right. What, what do you guys think you know yeah. you have to sort of because it's Adapt. they built the ship yeah right. yeah yeah how did you feel about that time like because that show used to come out there was a new show every sunday Totally you, different. Yeah. Do you like prefer that time to now or? So appointment TV yeah. versus sit down with, you know, your free time and watch Anytime. eight hours in a, in a row. Or like 30 minutes at a time. Yeah. I, it's so interesting because these past couple of years we have gotten accustomed to dropping shows mm-hmm. and everyone be like, oh, let's go watch the, you know, you can watch. My max is three. I really can't do more than three okay. hours of television and, and you know, of one yeah, series a day. Yeah. Um, and it was fun. We got to, you know, we, oh, you're only up to four. Okay, hurry yeah. up. That was a lot of fun. But yeah. now there are a lot of shows that are dropping now that are appointment TV again. Mm. You can only watch them once a week. And I am torn. Mm-hmm. I, I like not feeling like I have to sit down and watch, you know, many hours a day to catch yeah. up to the pop culture. It's kind of nice to have that break and then just know that on, you know, Saturday night or Sunday yeah. night or Monday night yeah. for this block of time, I'm going to watch this show. It's kind of nice. I, I miss appointment TV, but I have grown accustomed to okay. just binging. <laughs> okay. All right. I think that's diplomatic. Yeah, very. Right? Yeah. Wait, so, but don't you think that Because I was just thinking about uh, like film and uh, like getting uh, VHSs Mm -hmm. and uh, putting them in my VCR or getting a DVD like from Blockbuster and like talking to that guy behind the counter who's like a film nerd uh, like (laughs) me and like getting recommendations. And I feel like that that time is somewhat gone to some degree. Now you just have like these automated recommendations, which aren't really recommendations. But that how do you don't you feel like. Or even like when you're sitting in a theater and watching something, like don't you feel like there's more of a commitment and more of um, like you have more of an investment at stake? I think it depends on who you are. Okay. So I miss that person behind the counter on yeah. that video room on you like know, a Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. I miss that person yeah. who knew like the savant that knew every waking. That mm-hmm. was kind of fun because yeah. now the conversation's different. You know, it's it's, it's very different. Um, I feel like there is a divide. From the moviegoers to the, um, golly, what's the right word? You know, there are people that will go to the cinema now, now that we're going back to cinema. You know, of course, the unfortunate years of COVID don't count because nobody wanted to go sit in a black box. But now people are going to the cinema and genuinely leaving if they don't like it. Mm. I couldn't, I mean, I've done that twice. Wow. Hundreds of seven years, many, many years ago, I went to a movie and it was just so bad. I will not tell you what it was. I will not tell you what it was. Okay, okay, that's right. It was a a really good cast, but this was a long time ago. Yeah. It was a really good cast, Mm -hmm. but I just, it was such a stupid story and Mm -hmm. I was just... I was just annoyed, so I yeah. left. And then I was upset with myself, and I've never watched the film since. And it's a, it's a cult. Okay. I don't know if it's a cult classic, classic yeah, but it's yeah. definitely a cult film. Okay. But I was, um, now I'm kind of like, don't you just want to see what it was? No, I don't. <laughs> but I also don't leave anymore. Because yeah. I have this, I know, now I know how hard it is. Mm-hmm. I know it's, it's crazy difficult to raise money and then once you're in production making it work and getting getting that money spent responsibly and Mm -hmm. making sure that everybody is safe and kind and happy and the you know the families here getting this i know how difficult that is so i will sit in that theater until that last credit rolls whether i like it or i don't like it because damn it they got it done wow (laughs) that is commitment that's just me yeah it's total commitment that's just me and then in terms of like how they're spending money i think in one one cause that you've been passionate about too is like the creative reuse and like eliminating eliminating waste right and sustainability so like that's another part so we'll we'll talk about that but what so the story didn't work so is that like so a good cast and a cast that presumably has chemistry with each other and um you know a good directing team good producing team but the story is that what it comes down to in your in your view well if you don't have a story you don't have anything okay i mean it has to be all about story you can have a horrible story and the best production team in the world the best visual effects the best creatives but if you don't have the story what do you what's the point what makes a good story oh hello a beginning a middle and okay. end okay, okay. <laughs> it's like act one act two act three life love compelling drama compelling comedy you know 
every, everything's story. I think story is everything. I think right here what we're doing is a story. It and might be boring to some, but it might be fun to others. No, this is entertaining to everyone. <laughs> so then, but that, in terms of that story, it seems like it comes back to what we were talking about, about, about empathy, but then also about all those personalities. Like people have to have a personality on screen that they can probably resonate with, right? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Where did you, did you grow up in New York? I did, born and raised New Yorker. Where? <laughs> grew up in the Bronx, in Riverdale, oh. Riverdale, Kingsbridge, in the Bronx. I, I went to by the Bronx. There. You do where do you live? Washington Heights. Oh yeah, Close. of course. I went to the Bronx High School of Science. Yeah. Uh, I went to Oneonta State College, uh, mm-hmm. Oneonta State University, actually right. it's university now. And um, yeah, I did, when I was an assistant director, I went to LA for I think about seven years. Wow! And I didn't. I recommend it. Listen, the, the business is 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 viable on both coasts. Mm-hmm. New York, there's a lot more production days mm. in New York than in California. However, there's also Atlanta and Miami. Okay. There's so yeah. many major production zones all over the country. The time for me was right to just go to LA. I was I had a bunch of friends there, and they were all hiring me, and I would go sleep on a buddy's couch, and then yeah. finally, she, my college roommate genius that she is she said uh, i'm getting a new apartment and uh-huh. you're paying half the rent i was like oh, okay okay so that was sort of my kick in the in the butt to yeah. get out there and live there and i did and it was great did you like growing up in the bronx i did i did is there uh, that thing that again like there i bet there's tons of personalities in the bronx right well the bronx is huge yeah it's huge so you've got hmm. you know upscale upscale uber upscale and oh, then okay. you've got you know the little delis in the corner, yeah. and then you've got you know the zoo. The Bronx mm-hmm. is huge. I love the Bronx. I do. I love Have the you Bronx. been to the zoo? I haven't been Sorry. there. Sorry, they couldn't see their, their <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the look of shock. Look that I, yes, it's worth I going recommend to? it very highly. Yes. Okay. It's, I'm not really a zoo guy. Everything because there's more than just the animals. There's okay. the um, they have such they have so many um, exhibits and impact and they. They're educational and they mm-hmm. teach you world, you know, the global effect of animals across the world. Yeah, it's a great zoo. And then there's the Bronx Botanical Gardens. Yeah. And then there's Little Italy in the Bronx. And yeah, I need then, to go there. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty. It's a. It's a great borough. It's huge. Are you Italian? No. No. Are you Russian? No. Uh, well, actually, yes. My name is Russian. Yeah. Kuznetskov, but mm. I'm Jewish. Oh, nice. Okay. I'm Jewish Ruski. All right. Wait. So, all right. So you're growing up in the Bronx. And it's vibrant, but yeah. there's like there are disparities, and you're seeing all of that. Uh, and there's the zoo, and like there's all these cool things. So when does and the museums? The Bronx oh, has the some really? great museums too. Sure, the Bronx huh. Museum of Art, absolutely. Okay, so then how does the when do you get into like film and all that stuff? When did I get into yeah. film? Oh, it's a sad tale. Is no, it? it's not. It's not. Okay. It's actually a lot of fun. When yeah. I um, I graduated college, mm-hmm. convinced that I was an actress. Okay. I studied acting. I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Oh, wow. I was an actress. I was an actress for about two years, and I didn't like the rejection. Mm. I just did not like... Um, I didn't understand the business of entertainment. And that's a big deal now because, as you know, I teach here and I'm Mm -hmm. hyper-focused on making sure you have to understand it's a business. You can be the most creative person in the world, but if you don't understand that it's a business and that toothpaste costs $5 a tube, you're going to be in trouble and you're going to be unhappy. So I, as an actress, even though I was having some you know community theater okay. success and summer stock it just wasn't for me because I didn't like the rejection so I started producing and then I went oh, this is actually a sad tale mm. I was working at J. Walter Thompson it was my part-time job uh-huh. and I traveled for them with video camera in hand and I went to various focus groups across the country so I was seeing the country so I was very happy yeah. and I'd go to focus groups where a bunch of people would sit around a table and discuss how much they liked a product okay I'd bring it back to J. Walter Thompson, huge ad agency, yeah. and I'd go to the edit room and I'd sit with the editor and we'd cut together and we'd made these fun, fun sales tapes. Okay. And the editor said to me, you are very good at this. Hmm. No one really told me I was good at anything before. You should look into our producer training program. You'd make a great producer. It's like, oh, that's so great. Woohoo. So I go to sit and be interviewed for the producer training program. Okay. And the director of the program looked at me and said, oh, you're so young. You're so pretty. Yeah. I could never bring you into this program because you're going to get married and have babies and I would oh. have wasted all of my time. Wow. It's, horrible. it's a horrible story mm-hmm. because I, at the time, 
I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get angry. I did not know that that was a one thousand percent illegal conversation that he was having with me and I didn't have the tools that we have now I mean now it's hammered into our head about you know equal opportunity and and diversity and I just didn't have right hopefully I just didn't have the tools to fight back and to say no no no, that's not right so I wound up just leaving I got really angry yeah I went to my immediate supervisor told him what happened and mm-hmm. he did not care. He was like, well, you know, mm. what could you expect? Oh, wow. So I left this major ad agency that I had, you know, a team behind me telling me I should be one of their producers. Wow. So I wound up leaving and then I researched other training programs and I found the Directors Guild of America's training program. Mm. Never been on a film set before. This was all Jay Walter and commercials. And um, I was accepted into the training program. So wow. from that bad situation which was just again such an emotional heartbreak yeah because I had been there for almost two years and I was doing such really great things um it was a it was a great lesson so now I'm like on the top of any rooftop to any young person that will listen like it's we're all in this together equal opportunity let's do what we got to do you didn't in that moment you didn't allow yourself to get angry like why is that I was well first of all I, I spent so many times <laughs> so I was I was I was an I think I was probably an angry teenager so really? throughout my like teen angst probably okay yeah so I tried to always not really be angry I just really yeah coached myself and you know years of and I think acting I think dramatic training really helps you with that because how you, in what way you learn about emotions and you learn mm. how to tap into emotions and right. how to handle emotions and how to deal with emotions I really like that I like that as a skill. Um, and so it just wasn't, I just didn't want to get angry. I, I was, I was upset. Yeah. But I think I was more upset as the time passed with myself for not knowing how to handle something like that. And that's why I think it's really important that we understand now how to just be in a room no matter who you are and what your background is and where you come from and just treat each other with you know, respect. fairness and kindness and how, respect. How do you think you would handle that now, like looking back in hindsight? Oh, I would have handled it different. Again, it was, f- I would, I would actually just stop the conversation. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I'd pull out the old toolbox. You know, what do we got? Oh, yeah. What do we got in here? What do we yeah. got in here? That's illegal. You can't really say that to me. Thank you very much. And by the way, you can't talk about whether or not I'm getting married or having oh, babies. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I would, I would do that conversation and that would, would it change that person's mind? Probably not. But then I guess that led to the director's guild, right? Yes. So it actually was a horrible thing that happened yeah. to me, but it really pointed me in a direction of let's kind of get even and let's yeah. go get great training and be the best that I can be. And and that's exactly what I did. And what was your experience there like coming from Jay Walter Thompson? Like, was it a complete different, um, I guess, animal? Like, were you uh, doing completely different things? Yes. So... Jay Walter Thompson, cushy edit suite, you know, yeah. traveling the country, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then Expense going yeah. right, exactly. Then hitting hitting physical production as a DJ trainee, which you are basically almost the lowest person, mm. um, lowest position on right. a set. You really do, and I would recommend it to anyone that's interested in production. Mm-hmm. It is a very specific training program that trains you to be an AD, which is an assistant director, right. which is not personal. You're not scheduling and getting coffee. You're managing a set. You yeah. are running a set. If you are an assistant director, you're handling the background action you're dealing with all the elements that are needed in a script you're breaking down the script putting it into a schedule the right hand to the directors it's a really great job it's a really really great job but you have to wear a lot of different hats you do and you have to deal with a lot of personalities right that's what makes that's what makes you I'm definitely, there's a, there's this old stereotype of an AD, you know, they're mm. yellers, they're screamers. And, well, mm. ah, that's not me. I'm not a yeller and a screamer. I really yeah. just run a, I love running a good show, a smooth show. Everybody has a voice because you have to. The reality is whatever you're doing, whether it's an episodic show yeah. or whether it's, you know, a big feature film, mm-hmm. or even a small feature film everybody's involved it ha- there's not one one person can't do it alone even if you're the director you you can't do anything without the director of photography who can't do anything without their team right you need the production designer who can't do anything without their team it's such a collaboration and if there's any even the pick a name that's the top 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 in the industry mm-hmm. they don't do it alone yeah that's true and hopefully they know that right i think th- i think the yeah. really really good ones they do know. i think the really good ones do i think the ones that are unhappy yeah. a little maniacal to work with yeah. i think they'll never get it 
Yeah, and that's probably the worst recipe to have a good performance from an actor too. Like if they、Just、can to see yell that, at them. <laughs> to yell at them, but then also even if you're not yelling, like to you can see it in their eyes that this is all about like it's all about them. Yeah, that that's not good, especially not. now. Yeah. Well, nobody wants to operate、uh, on a fear-based set. Yeah. And there are some people that that's how they thrive. And、yeah. if you, especially as a producer, you walk in, or even if you're the AD, you walk in, and you can sort of tell right away, okay, this person is not comfortable unless they're yelling.、Mm-hmm. So let it happen. You know, I was first couple times I would pull them aside and say, you know, I'm right here. You can just tell me quietly and kindly and calmly, and we'll be we'll figure this out. And then after the second time, if they're not going to get it, you can't change personalities. Oh yeah. But they're on the show for a specific reason. They're either on the show because they're the best at what they do, or because there was no one else available. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. And you just got to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then you're working. You're with the DGA. And are you just getting like? Are you just like soaking it all in? You're getting all these experiences. So you go from again like the J. Walter Thompson experience. You're at the DGA. Now you feel like. Did you feel like you have more of a stake in your in the decisions that you can make and the impact that you can have like at an institution? Did you feel that at the so DGA? So it's interesting because I don't work for the DGA. I'm a member of、yeah. the Directors Guild. Right. So that means I'm a freelance person. Mm-hmm. So that means a job will come along, or a show, or a project will come along, and at the end of the day, it's only going to last. The maximum project could last is you know fifty weeks a year, right? Because、right. you have to take a couple of weeks off. Or if you're doing a, a if you're doing a huge feature film that takes、yeah. four years, they are so few and far between. Yeah. Even then, you get time down. Right.、Um, so you know it's funny because I'm a freelance person. I've、yeah. always been a freelance person because I stepped out of the J. Walter world and right into filmmaking and. Physical production, and that's freelance. So I've had my my dad, God bless him, was a hairstylist. Oh wow! My mom was、uh, she worked her way up from being an insurance associate to the communications director for the board of elections. Wow! So very very stable, you know, steady jobs. Yeah. Paycheck every week. Right. And then I here I come along. Yeah. Oh, the show's down. I'm going to go visit my friend in California, and they my father would go crazy. Oh my god, <laughs> she's unemployed again. Again, again,、oh, honey, do you need a little money? I'm like, yeah, Dad, I'm unemployed because the show shut down.、Uh-huh. But it's not something that he ever understood. And also, it doesn't matter. They they finally started getting it when I was doing bigger and bigger shows with、mm-hmm. more well known、okay. well known cast. They、yeah. started getting it a little,、yeah. but it's not something that well, my dad especially ever understood. Never understood that. So it was up to me to sort of let that roll. You know, you can't. I can't be responsible for what other people think. All、mm. I can all I can you know be responsible is never have. To ask him to borrow money because I、oh, was because、yeah. that、yeah. was part of the whole freelance lifestyle, and that's why I'm always you know focused on. It's a freelance lifestyle. There's、uh-huh. bouts of unemployment. So my first first、uh, day on the in the in first day as a member, not a member, first day as a DGA trainee was a SAG strike. So this was、oh. a f- quite a few years ago. So that year I worked fifty five oh fifty days. Wow. So it was it was you know it was an eye opening experience because then I realized oh you never know when you have to always just be aware of this freelance lifestyle. Yeah, like right now, right? Oh、uh, yes, like right now. How do you、yes. feel about that? I'm very very、again. sad. I'm、yeah. very sad because there's a lot of noise and、yeah. nobody's listening,、mm. and there's、um, there's a whole new Way of entertainment,、mm-hmm. a way of making entertainment,、yep. and we have to grow with it. We really do. I think I do agree that the salaries are low and、yeah. need to be need to be made commensurate with what's happening、sure. here. But also, when you have a movie that you spend a hundred million dollars on, and then you spend two hundred dollars, two hundred million dollars on marketing,、oh, how、yeah. do you break even? How do、mm-hmm. you break even? So, the whole、um, system is broken, and I don't know. What's going to happen? But if they don't talk and if they don't fix this system, this is going to go on for a long time until somebody, you know, one of the、uh, the the alliance breaks off and says, "Okay, we're going to do it this way from now on," and people are going to be starved. It's never about. The people that are actually striking, and I know it is, and most of them—I mean, they're good friends and、yeah. colleagues. It's absolutely about them, but it's about the dry cleaners and the coffee、mm-hmm. shop and the prop makers and the the wardrobe houses. Those people 
are the ones who are really living hand to mouth. Because if a show's not up, no one's renting their wardrobe or buying their safety pins. And Especially now, during a pandemic. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And now we're just getting back from the pandemic. And now it's not even that a show is not up. The industry shut down. Yeah. So nobody needs those safety pins. So I really, like, you know, I worry about all of us. But I, I look to the second layer of the industry that I don't think people are looking at. So then when was the, when did you feel like you were, did you work on something while you were getting those initial experiences yes. that you feel like, like this is what I really want to do? Because at that point, I mean, freelance lifestyle, but you're still kind of coming into it. You're new. Um, you're probably green to some degree, right? You're interested. So then how does that, like, what was the first experience that you made you, made you go that like, I really want to do this. I want to keep doing this. Well, being accepted to the Directors Guild training program was a really eye-opening experience for yeah. me because I didn't understand physical production. Mm-hmm. I had I had a small theater company with six of my really good friends, and theater is not film or TV, but right. it's still production. Mm-hmm. It's still management. It's still budgeting. It's still finding sets and props, yeah. and it's still paying your actors, and that was important to us. We paid our actors, and we did that for almost a year and a half while I was trying to step into this world of physical production. And that really got me, um, it gave me the the training and I guess the tools to see, oh, production, producing, that's what I'm really good at. I mean, and I really was. So we had this production company. At that time, we were the only company, the only traveling company in New York City that paid actors. Hmm. Yeah, it was like 35 bucks a performance, but but it's still, we were able to pay our actors. So that was kind of, we traveled all over, Bronx girl. We traveled all over the Bronx. We went to libraries and schools and migrant camps, and then we went oh, to wow. universities. We did it. We had fun doing it. And then, but it's just not sustainable. Nobody, you know, once the, we got a ton of grants, again, that's what a producer does. You <laughs> raise the money and then yeah. you, you make it work. And um, so when I started doing that, as the training programs, you know, began and then there was the strike, it just made, it locked me into saying, oh yeah, this is good. Producing is what I want. So then what did you do after that? You're getting all these experiences. So once the training program really starts, so yeah. the SAG strike was sked- settled, yeah. it didn't last very long, okay. and then the training program, they assign you um, projects. Mm. And then it, I just never stopped until it was, the program is a two-year program, and then once that program was over, I just started, I started getting hired as an assistant director. Because as a trainee, there were tons of know relationships that I was making and connections that I was making and I just stayed with it so then I started getting hired as an assistant director and I don't think I ever looked back what was the first uh, experience as an AD as uh (laughs) yes it was a Jonathan Demme movie called something Something wild Wild, yeah Yeah, I remember that yeah that was that was one of my was it it actually was a trainee on that it was my last trainee shows um I think my first experience as an AD was a television series called The Equalizer oh yeah not the Queen Latifah no I know yeah um it's so funny there were uh, a couple of my um friends work on that set and uh, my nephew who's a stuntman was on the set and he's like oh you got you got to tell him tell them that you know that you know I'm the OG from the Equalizer (laughs) because that there's a whole bunch of us in New York yeah there was a time in New York that you really were not in production if you didn't work on the Equalizer Kojak or Law and Order like those (laughs) were so I was jokingly telling him that I'm an OG and he he he's like he was on set and he's like what are you talking about (laughs) yeah there was an Equalizer long before Denzel yeah come on man (laughs) nobody knew that and that show's still on right it is it's never gonna go away (laughs) and Law and Order way into the thousands before you see an Edward Woodward Equalizer but yeah it was very funny Kojak didn't, I don't think Kojak made it, no. but I think there was a res- some resurgence or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, but there's all those pop channels now that bring back oh, all the shows yeah. in the 70s. That's right. All right. So we, uh, <laughs> so that Jonathan Demme experience. It was fun. Good experience? It was a great experience. I How love Jonathan Demme. It was Demme. Jeff Daniels. It was Jonathan Demme. It was Jeff Daniels. Melanie it was Griffith, right? Melanie Griffith. Yeah. She was, she was, it was early in her world at that time. No, it was pretty great. It was actually, yeah, no, it was pretty great. It was New York. Yeah. which was a lot of fun. It was at a time when filmmaking in New York, not TV, filmmaking was still relatively new and um, a little gorilla, a little down mm. and dirty. Yeah. And you were working with, you know, the cream of the crop. So, yeah, that was that was pretty great. What's your favorite Jonathan Demme movie? Well, it has to be something wild, of course. Okay, all right. <laughs> of course. I thought you were going to say Silence, because no. that's what everyone says. No. Yeah, you know, that creeps me out a little. I mean, oh, really? It was a brilliant movie. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. Would I sit down and watch it by choice? Not anymore. No. Do you like horror as a genre? I don't. Okay. I really don't. I mean, I 
did like Get Out. I do like some of the Jordan so like the comedy stuff. Yeah, like to make it more like bring it home like make it yeah. a little more lighter but no i'm not a horror fan at all what kind of genres in terms of like i guess genre films is what they call them like what are your do you have a go-to um or is it is it just about story in any no, genre? well it's always about story no matter what the genre is but i'm a classics kind okay. of person i really am so my favorite favorites would be it's a Wonderful Life. Oh, so yeah. I guess I'd be a classic and a nerd all at the same time. <laughs> Classics, It's a Wonderful Life, The Best Years of Our Lives, Casablanca. Mm. Oh, yeah. Anything Hitchcock. Um, mm-hmm. And then to bring it a little more contemporary, ha, Forrest Gump. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm partial to that one, but I think it's I think it's a great film. Um, and I, I, you know, Rob Reiner, yeah. I, I just don't think he can do anything wrong. Um, yeah. American President, yeah. Misery, Misery, Stand By Me. I mm-hmm. mean, I love that stuff. So the deep story. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Great stories, great drama, great acting, a beginning, a middle, an end. Sometimes the end is a little like, really? Fuzzy. What's happening? Yeah. But I just love that. Yeah. Harry Met Sally, too, right? Yeah, that's true. That's, I worked on that one. That's true. Man, and his dad. Uh, yeah. all, right. So then, all right. So you're doing that. And um, again, like you're getting all these experiences. It seems like you're you're getting you're learning from this gorilla, like this way of doing things that there's not one way that every set. Like, do you find that every set that you're on is different or are there like common themes? It's kind of like what we were talking about, about the Columbia buildings. Like, do you feel <laughs> like there's are thematic undertones or are they all completely different? I think every project almost like every job whether you're you know in advertising and engineering mm-hmm. you have to approach each job with a fresh outlook right the skill set might be the same but the scope changes yeah so you're always going to know the hairstylist because they're wearing a belt with a brush in it you know you're mm. always going to know that person you're always going to know the person with the tool belt and the hammer and the tool the, those things don't change the skill set's the same it's just the scope that changes but you have to you you know and i also do episodic yeah. so when you're fortunate enough to go to season two or season three you can't go to season three and say well that's how we did it in season two hmm. or season two that's how we did it in season one because everything you have to look at it with fresh eyes otherwise you're stale and you're just doing the same thing over and over again i think you have to look at everything even if it's a new day yeah you have to look at everything with a fresh eye i feel like the wire was like that right because every season was different every well the, every the story for every season yeah. was different. now unfortunately for me i only did one that's season, season the wire, three right which i think was the best season no offense i love that season oh, so do i yeah i think that was an extraordinary experience that's the po- local it. politicians yes yes yeah. and stringer bell Oh, yeah. It was a fantastic Idris. Yeah. 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 I feel like, you know, that was the time when HBO was still being HBO and Mm -hmm. the season would shut down and we wouldn't get a pickup. Oh. Forever. And I got this great opportunity to do a documentary and... um, I held out for as long as I could. It, the documentary was in Afghanistan, and I was like, oh, yeah. I, got, I gotta go. Thread, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I spoke to the producers who I adored. She's uh, Nina Kostrov Noble is a fantastic producer, mm-hmm. and I was like, I, I don't know what to do. And she fi- kindly, very kindly said, Schmuck, Afghanistan, <laughs> go. Yeah. And she was right. Wow. She was right, yeah. How was that, so, man? Well, that was great. Yeah. That was, it was, it was very, very different. It was also a while ago was uh-huh. like, because the, um, the documentary was female entrepreneurs right. in Afghanistan, yeah. which sounds like an oxymoron, but we found women that all throughout the troubles and all yeah. throughout the Taliban, they found a way to do commerce, mm-hmm. mostly by picking up the needle and the thread because oh, yeah. that's what they could do in their homes without getting without you know uh, getting inf- yeah, yeah getting noticed or attention, and then they would f- finish something, whatever it was, whether mm-hmm. it was. Uh, a garment for wardrobe, upholstery for furniture, a pillow, and they would send it to, they would give it to their little nephews who then run it to the market and sell it. Wow. And they, you know, they needed, everybody needed money. The men weren't working. The women weren't allowed to work. So they found this way to do this. And then when the Taliban fell, um, it all became public again. So that's why what's happening now is just the biggest heartbreak because you had these, these families, like women, yes, but you had these families and all they wanted to do was survive. They just wanted to live. And we went to many homes and it was, mm-hmm. the, the stories are, are kind of extraordinary. There's one home in particular that I went to mm-hmm. and uh, this woman was great. She was, um, 
she was actually short, so she yeah. was tiny, which was kind of fun. Yeah. But she was strong and powerful and talented, really, really talented from mm-hmm. a textile perspective and from a savvy business person perspective. So we go to her home, and it's myself, the director, a camera person, a local camera person, and our translator, who is also our guide. Mm-hmm. And the, the mother, who was not not our woman her mother yeah. older than life like if yeah. you took a picture of a stereotypical you know older grandmother in that yeah. region that would be her she takes me by the hand and she pulls me down on the floor so i can sit next to her while we have this huge meal that the mother prepared wow so the 12 year old daughter is sitting in the corner not having meal with us which is huh. bad yeah. and just had a really sour face on her hand was like just cupped over her cheek just huh. like this scowl on and the mother said to me, oh, she's upset because I wasn't here to walk her to school this morning. Mm. And I was like, wow. that is the working woman's lament globally. It was just such an eye-opening experience to be there and to just say, yeah, we, we all have the same problems. Mm-hmm. But it was just, it just put, hammered so many really interesting points into perspective because she wasn't there to walk her kid to school. In the middle of this you know, war zone, the kid was upset. Well, so, well, my mother felt the same way. <laughs> we lived in the Bronx. <laughs> yeah, so like different personalities, but then I guess still similar, like same common themes. Common threads. Yeah, common threads. Globally, nice. yeah. Globally, like that, exactly. Right. When did the interest in, because you worked on like several documentaries. How did that did. interest develop? So my first doc was because I uh, had just finished a big show. I was taking a little bit of a break, and I did a lot of volunteer work when mm-hmm. I lived in Los Angeles. And one of the um, programs that I volunteered for was a city. We called it Los Angeles City Camp. I was the okay. camp director, yeah. and this was work while working on film because I, I roped every film in, like Rosie O'Donnell. Mm-hmm. Like you know, brought, it was I roped every film in, every actor that I ever worked with. Like Los Angeles City Camp, yeah. give me a check or give me your product, and they were so generous. Everybody's just throwing things at me. It was fantastic. So. All of a sudden, we got this phone call uh-huh. um, from the mothership organization, which is called Cities and Schools, which still exists. Actually, Los Angeles City Camp still exists. Okay. And what our commitment was to take fifth graders, because that's you're 10 when you're in fifth grade yeah. and you're making a decision. You want to go in a dark direction or you want to oh, yeah. be a productive citizen? Yeah. So our commitment was to take the fifth graders away every weekend not away but out of their hood every weekend it was basically south central oh, it was wow. basically watts yeah um and we would go to the beach or we would go to museums we'd go to universal we oh, did nice yeah we did we took them on day trips every weekend and one overnight and it was a great we worked at the schools it was a lot of fun mm-hmm. so all of a sudden we get a phone call from the mothership that the united nations uh-huh yeah yeah, the United Nations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They were planning a program that had to do. It was they called it. It was all about tolerance. It was hmm. the year for tolerance, which of okay. course is a word that we don't use today. But yeah. it's all about tolerance. And the camp is phenomenal. Let's do something with tolerance. So hmm. we built this thing, and this is where my producing skills. We okay. built this thing called Tolerance and Diversity. Yeah, and we decided to create an inner city program from South Central Los Angeles uh-huh. and uh, East London. So all these inner cities, and we got these teenagers, God bless us all teenagers, got them together to create their peer-to-peer workshop. Oh, wow. So the first meeting was like, you know, we we didn't see the Londoners for a bit, but we talked a ton of times on the phone, and we didn't have Zoom, we didn't have video conferencing. So we planned the program and got the curriculum, and I'm not a teacher, but I was having the best time. It was four of us. We We just had a lot of fun, and after the first workshop, we said, we have to just film this. So I called a buddy mm-hmm. that I knew, and Ira McAlilly, who's another great guy, and he came in with his team and his camera, and we just started filming it. Wow. And it was it was extraordinary. So I, I didn't, I, I'm like, I'm not a documentary filmmaker. I just did the Flintstones, for heaven's <laughs> sakes. But, and they were very generous, also, the people at the Flintstones. But yeah, uh, yeah and, and one thing led to another, and then we were done, and we cut it together, and we have this beautiful film called Tolerance and Diversity, mm-hmm. and you've got these you know, kids from South Central and these kids from East London, ethnicities across the board, talking to each other, and there were a lot of fights, and some, oh, really? some things didn't work, and yeah. some things worked, and um, we, we, it became a part of the Prince's Trust in hmm. London. So I still get oh, a wow. check every year for like 10 cents because okay. they still use it. And in the United States, the Board of Ed, we were not allowed to go anywhere near any of the schools. Hmm. So we did a lot of, we were, we were at the Doc Channel. Yeah. We went to a lot of the um, community centers and cities and schools. And, and it was a fun, it's a fun teaching tool. It comes with a little book. 
No, it's really fun. So that was my very first experience in nonfiction. It's a very, very long-winded tale. I'm sorry. No, this but is good. That was, and I, I'm a narrative person, but you know yeah. what? Again, the skills are the same. If I did not have the skills that I had to be a narrative, I would not have gotten American Airlines to donate 26 round trip tickets to London oh, wow. for my kids. So it was great. We got USC to get all like again tapping into what it means to be a producer and how to you It's know, all connected. It totally a thousand yeah. percent. So that was my very first nonfiction piece. And then every time something comes along, I'll do it. Like Thread, I got this phone call to do Thread. And as soon as I did research on B Peace, which is the business council for peace, mm-hmm. I was in. I'm still I'm still an active member of B Peace because it's such a great organization. The philosophy is more jobs mean less violence. Okay. Get the women employed, mm-hmm. they can become breadwinners right. and take care of their family and employers of their community. Well, violence stops when you give people something to do. My favorite organization. So then that just organically happened. And again, using my filmmaking skills, my physical production skills from the narrative world, let's let's make a nonfiction piece. So, I'm telling yeah. you, it's all connected. <laughs> and then totally Omara, you did that one recently. I did that one's on the festival circuit now. We're actually yeah. hoping for distribution on that one soon. Um, Omara is Omara Portuando, who is the last surviving vocalist of the Buena Vista Social Club. Oh, yeah. She's 92, and she's on her world tour. Right. This, she thinks this is going to be her last world tour, but actually, oh. you can see in my film, she says that three times. No, I saw, because <laughs> I saw I saw a little bit of that. Like, she says that when she's in Japan. Yeah. Like, yeah. She's and, old, yeah. and the Japanese love her. They, you no, Can I just say, well, you know, she lives in Havana, so yeah. she's a Cuban national treasure, but right. because of the politics of the two countries, North America does not really know a lot of the <laughs> artists for the, the stellar artists from Cuba. So when you step outside of this country, people stop and scream. She sold out a stadium in Korea, for heaven's sakes, yeah. in Japan. I mean, Big in she, Japan. You, there was, there's, we have um, shots in Japan where people are just openly weeping yeah. when she's singing. It's pretty great. I knew her a little bit because I knew the Buena Vista Social Club through Rai Cooter because he course. produced that and I love him. So. Man. All right. So that's the nonfiction. So that's my nonfiction yeah. world. And Amar, again, she is um, on. The, she's doing her world tour, and the film is on a festival circuit now. And we're just going out for distribution. Yay! How did the uh, how did the collaboration with uh, like Robert Zemeckis? How did that begin? Because um, I my first so I did four projects with him. Yeah. And I can't remember which was the first one. I think was it Forrest? Was Forrest Gump the first one? And then from Forrest, we went to we did a TV show together. Yeah. Then we did Death Becomes Her. Then we did Fly. Fly. I think that's what it was. And Forrest, because I had, as a DGA trainee, I had worked with the AD team before. Oh. And they needed they needed someone who would be you know just that person who's going to drop everything and get on a plane, which is exactly yeah. what I did. That's you, like, yeah. What? what? Timmy, <laughs> Timmy's in the lake. What do you need? So I dropped everything and I yeah. just got on a plane and it was my first day on the set. I, so I I had like two days of prep period mm. my first day on set was the school bus scenes with all oh, the yeah. screaming kids yeah. and they didn't know who they were dealing with because that's the course, end right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no no both the beginning oh, okay, when he okay. walks down the aisle and they're like you can't sit here you can't oh yeah, sit yeah, here. yeah 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 so yeah. um you know i had all this experience working with kids and teenagers no less which is you know yeah so um i was able to handle a busload of you know 10 year olds without a doubt it was a lot of fun Man. so and that started and thankfully we uh, you know, brought me back for a couple of couple of his good ones. Yeah, no, uh, Forrest. Like, so that one when you worked on that was that like an, that's an instant classic, right? Did you know that that would resonate? When I I was I have been told by um, a, a dear friend that when I finished reading that script, I closed the script and I said, "This is the best thing I've ever read." Wow. So from the beginning, you know, Eric Roth was the screenwriter, and from the beginning, just the pages were genius, mm. and then. The filming of it was very, very difficult. Yeah, because uh, it was all new. It was yeah. first of all you were in Savannah with the bugs and the heat uh-huh. and all. Oh yeah. But um, but you know it was visual effects, and of course we were all doing visual effects at that time. But I think not to this degree. Mm. You know, you had the leading man with no legs, so you had yeah. constant green screen every time you turned around. It was so exciting, and you had really good people. No divas, no room for drama. You had really, really good people. Um, the talent was extraordinary. Tom Hanks, who yeah. was just about to become Tom Hanks. I mean, he was well, Tom that, Hanks. He, did, he worked with uh, Demi that year before. And right, then, yeah, right. Philadelphia. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. but did which came which came out first? Didn't Gump come first? I think and Philadelphia, then Philadelphia, Philadelphia, and then Gump, right? Hmm, I don't know. I can't let's remember. let's bet. What do you think? No, I you think, think you're right. Oh, right. You have the computer open. I think you're oh, right. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it was he. He was extraordinary, and and, yeah. and that sets the tone. When you have a director who knows what he wants, who comes prepared, and you have a director of photography. That this was Don Burgess, who's oh, also yeah. you know phenomenal. Yeah. There was such, and then the the talent who nobody was afraid to go talk to the director and have, yeah. it was pretty great. Yeah. And then to come back, I mean, you did so many projects, but Flight, that's another one. That was fun. And yeah. you got Denzel. I didn't have anything to do with getting Denzel. Yeah, no, but <laughs> so great film. Flight was a fabulous film, and I actually went back to Flight after doing everything I've done in my career, you know, producing, yeah. and line producing as his first AD, and I will never forget that phone call. I hadn't worked, I took some time off, it was by choice, I was between <laughs> projects, ring-a-ling-a-ling, the phone rings, it's a really good friend of mine, um, Cheryl Ann Martin, who's a great producer as well, mm-hmm. and Steve Starkey, who's been Bob's producer forever, and he's phenomenal, and they were like, promise me you won't say no until you think about it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is not a good sign, what are you guys talking about? Yeah. And they just wanted to be surrounded with they, people who they knew could do the job and that we were all comfortable with. I'm like, I haven't been a first AD, guys, in, you know, a, while. a long yeah. time. I just, I just, but we sat down for about three minutes and I was like, all right, sure, let's do it. And I got the best second AD to join us and the great second second. And it was so much fun. You know, just think about knowing what I knew because I had already, you know, produced and right. had, a, you know, great success and then going back to where it all began in a position oh, yeah. oh it's fantastic because you know it was great it so that was like a lot of fun and it was a really interesting show i mean yeah. it was we had a, a plane a yeah. real plane that we put on it we didn't the special effects team put on a gimbal man he had to turn it and we had people and stunt people in the plane and it was like okay hold on here that we go. seems great <laughs> That opening uh, scene, that crash. That was awesome. That was yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's we, wild. we made people go upside down. Yeah, and then also, uh, oh man, that was you guys. Yeah, that was <laughs> no, that was wild. Uh, and then her her leg gets all screwed up, like in the overhead compartment. Oh, it yeah, so it's gross. wild. Yes. Yeah, but that that's another movie that also like uh, in terms of like the psychology, like addiction. I mean, that's such a big. That was a tough one. Big theme. Yeah, um, and he was fantastic at it. Yeah, he, it was really hard. You know, it's so interesting because that was. A, a budget level that both those gentlemen were not used to working on hmm. and here you bring me in and at that point I had done independent film already and I had already done a million dollar movie or uh, you know $500,000 nonfiction yeah. so now you have these you know, and including Burgie including Don Burgess I mean you had really high-end players there that were doing their best and making it work at a level that they had never done before and you can't tell it's gorgeous it's absolutely gorgeous i guess that's and that's the collaboration so that's an example where like everything kind of works you know it's funny because someone had said when we started shooting that particular film so the band is back together Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what they did it was the producing team it was the ad staff it was the same sound mixer and makeup artists and uh uh, cinematographer and it was and costume designer yeah that's what we did it's a lot of fun. So then as you kind of like, because you've also been really involved with um, with the PGA and the DGA. So like, how is that? You've like chaired committees. You've done a lot. So how does that uh, come? Like, where does that kind of come from? Is that because you, again, like talking about like the guy, the person that makes the pins, like you like you like kind of standing up and having the organization have a voice on issues and sustainability and all of that. Was that always an interest that you had? Yeah, I, especially starting out. So the Directors Guild is a, you know, a guild yeah. for directors and assistant directors and stage managers and associate directors and, and production assistants in mm-hmm. the live tape world. The Producers Guild is a trade association. So it's not a collective bargaining okay. uh, um, agency. So it's a totally different membership organization. So I'm, I'm a member of the Directors Guild, which protects my rights mm-hmm. as a member, and it covers pension and right. health care. Um, where we operate under the collective bargaining agreement. Our contract just got renewed you know, mm-hmm. with, with great concessions, um, which is not great advances, not concessions oh, yeah, at yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> Long yeah. words, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and the Producers Guild is not a collective bargaining agreement, so there is no pension, there's no okay. health care, but it's a trade association. It's a phenomenal voice because the reality is the word producer is just overused and abused. Mm-hmm. And if you um, look at any television show or film, you know, there's... 
18 producer credits before oh, yeah. you get to producers yeah. who actually did the work. And that's one of the things that the Producers Guild has been working very hard on is to, you, you're never going to stop the proliferation of producer credits because if somebody writes a big fat check and right. your film can get made because of that yeah. big ch- fat check, that person's a producer. Mm-hmm. Um, but are they the producer that does the work? Mm-hmm. So there's... A, Getting the film written is huge. Getting yeah. the film financed is huge. But then actually doing the work, getting the green light, getting the talent, getting right. you know the team to do all of the other work, oh, yeah. that's pretty impressive. So there's many levels of producing, and the credits are huge. There's the producer credit. There's the co-executive producer. There's the executive producer. There's the produced by. There's right. the associate producer. There's the produ- production associate. So many different credits. Um and it, you know, oh, you're a producer. What do you do? So, yeah, that's a hard answer. So, yeah. yes, the Producers Guild is instrumental in being a voice for the producers. Producers don't have um, minimum wages. They don't have health care. They don't have, you know, you could work on a film or work on developing a film for 10 years. You, know, you get this book, you option the rights, you try to work on it for 10 years. Yeah. And when you finally get the green light, it's at a budget rate that maybe you weren't expecting. Right. And the first thing the financier is gonna say, without doubt, is go to the producer line and say, well, you need to take a pay cut so we can mm. make this work. And then the producer is going to have to turn around and say, I've been developing this project for yeah. 10 years. That's 10 years of phone calls and travel and research and hiring archivists. How you know, Divide 10 years by mm-hmm. whatever that figure is. I'm coming away with $2 a day. That's the thinking that has to stop. You know, the, the recognition needs to, you need to see what it takes to get a project made. So it's kind of going back to that, that J. Walter Thompson conversation you had on some level in terms of having the hindsight to like uh, like speak your mind and also like lobby and advocate for yourself because I think that might in the minutiae kind of get buried a little bit, right? Absolutely, it does. And you know, part of it, it's a business and that's yeah. one thing that we always have to remember. This is a business. So if I say something's gonna cost $10 and you come back to me and say, I'm gonna give you five, then I'm gonna say, you know, I have the option of saying, yeah. oh, God, I'm so desperate. I'll take the five and figure it out. Or you say no. Or I'm going to say it can't be done for five, <laughs> you know. I did have that experience once. I do a lot of budgets for some companies and studios, which <laughs> is nice. You know, I get to be involved in the R&D for a project. And yeah. this woman gave me a budget and said, I think this is a $3 million project. And the way I work is I just soup the nuts, do everything in the beginning, right? Just get it all in there and then tailor it to what they want. So she called me a week in to check in. How's it going? And I said, you know, I'm at, I'm at five two already I'm not really sure about this whole three thing and she it was a it was a woman she got very very upset well then I'm not mm. going to pay you because I said it needed to be three I'm like wow. okay I'm not done I yeah. just want you to know I think three is unrealistic mm-hmm. and then I went back and of course you go into the big flat fees that, that's where you're going to find the money you're not mm. going to find it in union rates because you can't right. you know, unless you take away days here and there but you so part of what I do is you just have to be realistic I know you want this to be three but I'm going to give you the five just so you can see it here's your three but here's a five million dollar budget <laughs> just so you can see what yeah. that means and then tell me if you agree with the three so like it's shift the perspective a little bit completely yeah so you said uh when you're talking about the L.A. schools experience um, that, you know, I'm not a teacher, but now uh, well, you now are a professor at Columbia, right? <laughs> now I am. Yes, I am. So how did that um, how did that happen? I mean, did, is that something that you wanted wanted to do? Like so, um, you know, for me, the yeah. run, the sun rises and sets on Jack Latchner. So that's number oh, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? I had the great good fortune of coming in once a semester Mm -hmm. here or at NYU or at other schools and just being a guest for a day you know coming in and um I did a purchase I've done it I've done it quite a few times at various institutions and schools and community and I just really enjoy it and I feel like especially at certain levels with certain students there's so much that someone in the field can just share. Yeah. You know, I'll go back and say it again. Toothpaste is five dollars a tube. You <laughs> yeah. guys know that. You better know that now. Yeah. Um, and that's a that's a no frills brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And and 
you know, I'll always be grateful to Jack because he always said, you, you're good at this. You should come back. And I'm like, sure, call me next semester. Call me next semester. Yeah. And then one semester, there happened to be a, a, an opening, and I stepped in. Maureen Ryan oh, yeah. designed the class and yeah. into a great class. I talked and I to her. Put, yeah, she's yeah. phenomenal. And I put my spin on it, and I've been having, I really enjoy it. How is that, uh, what's it like kind of, because you've been, like you said, like a student of life, and you've had all these different experiences, and you've also been um, definitely a leader on set. So how is it coming from that, taking all those experiences, and then, like, talking to students? I mean, is it what you would ex- what you expected originally when you came, or did you find that like you're learning things that about yourself and who you are, and about the students like that you didn't expect, like after doing it? Well, the first day I was terrified, um, and then that went away because the reality is whenever you're sitting around, you know, in front of a classroom Mm -hmm. or around the table, I was going to say, because there's no, it's not a lecture thing, um, you get energized. Yeah. And I feel like you, I mean, I learn a lot from the the students in this particular class because this Mm -hmm. particular class is all about production and management and pre-production really and you you have to you i learned something i think if you're not learning this is such a cliche thing to say i know but (laughs) you have to learn something new every day you just have to yeah um but we have we had a good we had a great time i mean Mm -hmm. and i think that i got as much from them as they did from the class because what they didn't know they figured out and then it was my job to say, okay, that's really great, but it's dangerous and illegal. So yeah. let's do it the right way. Yeah. <laughs> so it was great. Yeah. Well, I got a lot from this. Yeah. And I feel like I learned a lot. <laughs> Me too. Uh, this is fun. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm.